did you get your notes this morning? And the name of the teaching is Becoming Prepared for So Much More. And uh, I actually, when the, I knew that I was going to be, for about six months, I knew that I would be teaching on this day. And so I had uh, a couple of teaching, I had one teaching I wanted to do, and I thought it was all set with that. Then the Lord said, no, that's not the one. So I selected another one that I wanted to bring, and uh, about a week ago, the Lord said, that's not the one. And he says, I want you to do this one. And so uh, this is what you're going to (laughs) get. But it is so appropriate for what's coming up. And so I understood why the Lord wanted to do it this way. In uh, Proverbs 4, 7 through 9, tells us that wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Or we could say it this way. And in all of your pursuits in life, make sure that you are taking hold of understanding. We could say what the word understanding would be the word revelation. In other words, an aha moment. A time in your life that enacts uh, a, a, a vision in your life that brings forth a change. It's just not a good thought. It's something that changes your identity, changes who you are, changes the way you think, and it changes the way that you uh, are moving in life. Exalt her and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace. A crown of glory she will deliver to you. So I think you read that and you read all of what the Word of God says about wisdom and understanding. Would you agree that we need wisdom? Would you agree that we all need to grab a hold of understanding in life? A good, um, a good description of the word wisdom would be a proper application of knowledge. And so this is what we need. We need to embrace knowledge get under, and then get understanding. And then we take and we act on that understanding and we call that wisdom. Understanding brings about welcome change and, and embraces that change with joy. About, uh, it's been about seven months now. So I'm going to share just a little testimony with you. About seven months ago, it was actually in May coming into May, because I started at May 1st. So coming in at the end of April, uh, the Lord, I was praying, sitting on my bed, I was worshiping, and then I got quiet, and I began to listen for the Holy Spirit to, did you know that that's a good thing to do when we're worshiping and we're praying? Did you know that you can't teach God anything? But did you know he can impact you with a whole bunch of wisdom? So when we worship, make sure that you're taking time then to get quiet And then to say, Lord, what do you have to minister to me today? And let him get quiet and let him minister and impact your life. So I was sitting there, and all of a sudden the Lord said something I really didn't want to hear. And he said, you used to fast one day a week years ago, and then you stopped doing that practice. He said, you know that fasting takes your soul and puts your soul subservient to your spirit and to me. He says, I want you where I'm taking you in life and where I'm moving you into ministry. 
I want you to begin to enact that practice again. I'd like you to begin fasting one day a week. He said, you pick the day, but I want you to start fasting one day a week again. I didn't like to hear that. I didn't like fasting. Uh, I'm like probably the rest of the body of Christ. It was painful. It hurt. I got headaches from time to time. I didn't like it. When I was fasting, and I think the longest fast I did up to that time was about four days, and I remember doing that. You know what I did the whole four days? I was thinking about what I was going to eat when I got off the fast. <laughs> and it's amazing. You watch TV and all of a sudden all the food ads that come on, oh, that looks so good. And so I, I, could, I know that back then that my soul really liked to eat and really wanted to do that. And so I knew, here we go again, one day a week. And so I reluctantly said to the Lord, okay, I'll do it. So I selected my day, then following week, came to my fasting day, and I fasted. Now, I didn't do a Daniel fast, which is fine. I did a liquid-only fast. And so at the end of the day, I was amazed. I went through the day with no weakness, no headache, no pain. I wasn't thinking about food. I just went through the day, and I just had a strong day. It was just a regular day. Following week... I did it again, came up to my fast day, and boom, had no problem. And I was laughing at the end of the day. I'm sitting on my bed, and I was just laughing. I said, Lord, this is the easiest thing I've ever done in my life. I said, I had no clue it was going to be this easy. And I said, so I said, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to fast tomorrow. I'm going to do it again. So I did it again. Went through the second day. Had no problem. Now, what I was doing in my fast times, though, is I was shutting off the TV, shutting off the computer, and I was spending those times when I would get home from the office here, I would just get into the presence of God, I would read the Word, and I would spend my time just worshiping and being in the presence of God. So then I said, well, I'm going to go a third day. I want to test this thing out. So I went the third day. I found myself at the end of the day sitting on the bed laughing, doing the same thing. I says, Lord, I don't understand what's going on. Keiko was coming. Are you eating today? No, I'm not. She goes, you're kidding. I said, no, I'm going to fast another day. And so I ended up going three days. And so she came in. I says, don't even ask. I'm doing the same thing. So I told the Lord, I said, I don't understand this. I've gone three days. I've had no trouble. I have had the most wonderful time in your presence. And he said, well, he says, why don't you just keep going? And uh, and at that time, we had the baseball game. Dodger game was coming up. So I knew I needed to break the fast before the Dodger game. (laughs) I had to have at least one day before the Dodger game to condition myself for those Dodger dogs, you know. Make a long story short, I ended up going 12 days. And I had absolutely no problem, no weakness, I discovered that I had more strength, more energy, and I'm out here cutting trees, and I'm working in the courtyard, and I'm doing all kinds of things, physical things, and I noticed there was absolutely no weakness whatsoever, and I had greater clarity of mind. I ended up telling the Lord, why was this so easy? 
what changed in my life? And the Lord told me, he says, well, what changed, he says, is you've been worshiping me for almost two years. He goes, you've made worship a part of your life. You worship in the morning, you worship at noon, you worship in the evening. He says, your worship has opened the door for the keys of the kingdom to function in your life the way I ordained for them to function. He says, I never meant fasting to be a tool for the body of Christ that would cause hardship. He says, don't you know that scripture that says that my yoke is easy and my burden is light? He said, the church has not learned these things because they are not spending time in worship with me. So in 2016, the Lord gave me a great revelation on worship, and it really did change my life. I discovered something, and that is joy in my fasting times. I, caught, I would catch myself sitting in my office at lunchtime, and I would begin to worship, and I'd just begin laughing, and I'd say, Lord, this is, if the most people that would hear what I have to say, saying that I have joy in my fasting times, they'd think I'm nuts. I look forward to my time in fasting. I look forward. I embrace it. It's like one of the greatest gifts that the Lord has brought me into. It has changed and revolutionized my life. Now, because I just started talking about fasting, here's a warning. Some of you just tuned me out. Because to the body of Christ... Fasting is the Christian F word. And I noticed that I'll be talking to people about it. They'll say, I was at a, I was at a, a medical clinic the other day, and the doctor that was a Christian, and he's talking, he goes, oh, man of God, tell me, what has the Lord been talking to you about? And I said, fasting, and you could tell his eyes, whoop, he just shifted all over. He started talking about it, changed the subject, and started talking about other things. People don't want to hear about that, and I understand that. It's because of the bad experiences that you've gone through, the headaches, the weakness, and struggling through fasting, because we haven't brought worship into our fast times. And so we have a bad experience that causes us to take an important tool, and I'm going to tell you this, it's not just a tool, it's a grace gift. It is actually one of the keys of the kingdom. And we have taken an important key of the kingdom and we've set it aside. I'll tell you, you want to do, do an interesting study? Go through the Bible and research where people fasted and look at the results that took place. I don't have time in this teaching. I could go through that and just walk you through the Old Testament and you would be amazed at what's the breakthroughs that are connected to somebody fasting. One of the main purposes of fasting is that it puts the soul into submission. So why does the body of Christ not like that? Because your soul is screaming and saying, don't do it. I want the pizza. I want the cake. I want the pies. No, don't do this to me. I want to have my way. That's the soul. The soul is a Greek word, suke, P-S-U-C-H-E. And what it means is it means your mind, will, intellect, and your emotions. That's the portion of us that drives us most of the time. A lot of the body of Christ, here's a, here's a newsflash. A lot of the body of Christ will claim that we're led by the Spirit of God. A lot of the body of Christ is led by the soul. 
And we need to get to the place where we take our soul and we put it under submission and we are truly led by the Holy Spirit and our spirit. Look at, take a look at Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. I hope now you can tune back in and you haven't put a wall up and you're thinking about other things. Really try to get an open mind and hear what I'm going to tell you today. I think it will cause an open an openness to you. I've been praying that ears would be open to hear this so that the body of Christ, you at Valley Community Church, can move into the depths that the Lord has for us in this coming new year. Matthew 11, 28 through 30, Jesus said, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What have I encountered in my fasting times? My soul is quieted. That's probably the number one thing that I've found out. I mean, we all get tempted in life, okay? Tempted to overeat, tempted to uh, give our opinion, tempted, somebody says something we don't like, we're gonna give, we're gonna tell them, we're gonna argue, we're gonna, the soul just always wants to be out in front. And so there's all kinds of temptations that come our way. What I noticed is my soul was just put down. And so the area where the enemy comes, uses our soul to tempt us in life, it was like he was disarmed. And I noticed that it was just shut down. It be, my soul became subdued and became more, in, more apt to come in line with his word and his presence is at an all-time high in my life. When I, read, when I would read the word, revelation and understanding just exploded to me. Why is that? Your soul is put down, and in fasting, your spirit is opened up to a greater degree. And so you will begin to hear, understand things that you didn't understand before. Favor. I noticed the favor of God functioning in my life at a much greater level. Much greater level. It just amazed me. My flesh is getting lighter, lost some weight, lost about 60 pounds. My thoughts became more clear, and I noticed an increase in energy and in stamina. Now, I start doing a little bit of research online about fasting. Here's what I discovered. Now I'm talking about the secular world, non-church world. Did you know that there's people that aren't Christians that fast? Amazing. I did not know that. Secular world, I found that there are many Silicon Valley CEOs running mega corporations. And you know what they're doing? Water only, eight to 10 day fasts regularly. We can't even get the church to do this. And here's people who aren't even born again they have no, they're not doing it for religious reasons. They're not religious people. They are running multi-million dollar corporations, and they are doing water-only eight to ten day fasts regularly. And so they were interviewing these people, and they said, why are you doing this? And they said, it's because we, I have an increase in energy, an increase in stamina, I have my thoughts are more clear and creativity is at an all-time high. They said, I need this to run this company correctly. 
I need to be on the cutting edge of what our, of what our business is doing. And fasting keeps me sharp. And I thought, wow, these are people who aren't even doing it for religion, but they're tapping into the natural benefits of fasting. What does that tell me? When God created humanity, he put something within us that would respond to a spiritual tool. But there are benefits that affect us, spirit, soul, and body. So here is the world tapping into something that affects their soul and affects their flesh. MIT did a study, MIT Medical. Listen to this. Fasting boosts stem cells' regenerative capacity. Fasting has many effects in the intestine, which include boosting regeneration as well as potential uses in any type of ailment that impinges on the intestine, such as infections or cancers. An age-related loss of stem cell function can be reversed by a 24-hour fast. That's MIT. So there are many physical health-related benefits, uh, cancer, and also there was a lot of studies that I read about in type 2 diabetes, that they're having very favorable results by just getting people to do intermittent fastings. Uh, through fasting, there's a lot of your toxins. A lot of times people will get headaches in fasting. You know what's going on there? Your fat cells trap toxins. So when your body goes into ketosis and you begin not depending upon glucose anymore for energy, your body begins to eat the fat cells. And what happens then is that the toxins are released and you may get a headache at that time. Now, here's a disclaimer. If you are severely underweight or you have a severe medical condition, then you need to talk to your doctor before getting into any type of fasting. And uh, however, when you do talk about fasting and I make that disclaimer statement, there are people that say, oh, that's me, I can't do that because. And they really don't have that situation. I wanna say that's dangerous to do that because you have just claimed a sickness that you really don't have. And you need, you've just got a door that opened up for the enemy to bring something into your life. So that is a dangerous, uh, practice to do. It helps to tame the soul, as I said, your mind, will, and emotion. Let's take a look at Genesis 4-7. Now, this is a time where Cain and Abel were bringing, uh, were bringing offerings to the Lord, and we know the story that Cain's, Abel's offering was accepted and Cain's offering was, was rejected. Cain became very uh, upset about this, and the Lord said something to him. He says, if you do well, Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, listen to this, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. That was God talking to the children of Adam and Eve way before Jesus ever came onto the scene, way before it was, he ever went to the cross. But listen to what he said to humanity. You should rule over this. You should take authority over this. The devil has sin that is just waiting, crouching at the door of your life, and you should rule over it. Fasting is one of those areas that will cause us to move into that rulership or that authority area. We're all tempted, every one of us. But there is victory and 
God has given us that tool of fasting. 1 Peter 2.11 says, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. The soul always wants its own way. I mean my. I don't like that. I don't want to do that. Whenever I hear somebody say, you can't tell me what to do. Who do you think you are? Man, that is soul talking right there. I remember years ago we had an assistant pastor here and uh, came in on a Sunday morning and he, I caught him right through the door here and he said to me, he says, hey, I'm going to proclaim a corporate fast to the staff and we're going to fast for two weeks. Inside, you know what I said? Who do you think you are? And I walked away from him and I said, Lord, who does he think he is? Proclaiming a corporate fast for the staff. If the man wants to fast, then fast. God's not telling me to fast. And the Lord goes, listen to you. (laughs) Sounds like you need to fast. He says, you know that's your soul, don't you? I was guilty. That's probably when I started fasting one day a week was because of that. (laughs) But boy, I got a revelation. That was my soul that rose up. The book of Hebrews was written about 65 AD, and that was a terrible time. Nero was in power, and of course, we know that that was right about the time that uh, Paul was killed. Terrible time for, for Christians. Persecution was very strong at that time. And the writer of the book of Hebrews, uh, he's admonishing Jewish believers because of the persecution that's going on. That is very strong. People are being killed. He's admonishing them Because these Jews want to go back to Judaism. They want to walk away from Christianity because it's too tough to be a Christian. It's dangerous to be a Christian. You can be killed as a Christian. It's safer if I go back to where I was before and renounce Christ. And in chapter 10, he admonishes them three things. He says, stand fast in the truth of Christ's death. In other words, his death, burial, and resurrection. He admonishes them not to let go of their confession as Jesus, as the Messiah, and the promises of the Word of God. And he admonishes them to continue to live by faith. Then he says these words in Hebrews 10.39, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul, the mind, will, intellect, and emotions. In other words, he's saying, we're not of those. That word perdition is a word that means complete and utter destruction. He says, but we are of those who believe to the saving of the soul. In other words, who exercise their faith to get their soulish realm in order. Did you know that when you were born again, your, your spirit is redeemed? Did you know that? You're redeemed. Your spirit is a brand new creation in Christ. But did you know that your soul is the same? It didn't get redeemed. Did you know that your body didn't get redeemed? Oh, wouldn't that be great? No, if you were overweight before you got born again, the minute you said, Jesus Christ, come into my heart, and I want to be born again and saved, the minute you did that, guess what? You weighed the same. It would have been great to get a new body, but we didn't get our glorified body then. The difference is that we were bought 
but, but our flesh has not yet been redeemed. You might think of that years ago, they used to have stamps, stamp books, S&H green stamps, blue chip stamps. They were stamps when you go shopping, and when you paid for your groceries, and then you got a whole bunch of stamps. You could take the stamps then, take them home with you, you licked them, put them in a book, and then you could go to the blue chip stamp place or the S&H green stamp place, and they had stuff. And if you had enough books, you could get the stuff. And you traded your stamps. And now the stamps were purchased, but they weren't redeemed. You redeemed them when you went to the S&H green stamp or blue chip stamp place where they had stuff. And it told you how much the golf clubs, how many books you could get these golf clubs for or whatever. And then, or a bicycle, whatever it was. And then you brought your books in, and they went through all the books, and said, yeah, you got it. And then you took the stuff home. You redeemed the stamps, and you got stuff. So they were purchased, but they weren't redeemed. Your spirit is redeemed. Your soul and your body are not redeemed. They've been purchased. And so what we have to understand is we need to now take our soul and we need to renew it to the word of God. There will be a time when you leave this earth that you will get a glorified body and a new soul. Praise God. It's coming. But we need to take what Jesus has given us and we need to bring our soul in that saving area of the soul. Let's take a look at that word saving. It's the word parapoiesis. And it means this. It's actually made up of two words. Peri, which is a P-E-R-I, which is a preposition. Think of the word periscope. Okay? On a submarine, what does the periscope do? They put the periscope up, and they can look where? All around. So that word peri, P-E-R-I, is a preposition in the Greek language that talks about all around. Okay? Poiesis is talking about to acquire. So this word actually means all around acquire or obtain. It means everywhere and in all situations to acquire, possess, purchase, have, or obtain. In other words, it's saying the saving of the soul is you need to get your soul in line for every situation in life. You'll be ready for whatever comes your way. Fasting is a mighty grace gift and aid to this process of the saving of the soul. It puts self down in submission to the spirit man. Remember when Jesus started his earthly ministry? He was baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist. And it says in the book of Luke, it says that he returned from the Jordan full of the spirit. Then he goes into the wilderness led by the Spirit of God, and he fasts for 40 days. Then he's tempted by the, by the devil during his fasting time. So make no mistake, when you fast, the devil will probably try, come to you and try to get you to end your fast early. You know, one of the tricks that the devil did is if you're the son of God, turn these stones into bread. All of a sudden, what did Jesus think of? The best bread he ever made. Isn't bread wonderful when it's baking? Have you ever baked bread in your home? We own a bread-making machine. We've only used it a couple times, and then we put it away. You know why? 
we ate the bread the minute it came out of the thing. We were all hovered around it, sliced that thing, put butter on it, and we ate the whole loaf. Let's make another one. <laughs> that smell of the bread baking just gets you ready to devour that thing. So the devil does that. Now, when, the, when Jesus came out of that temptation time, you know what it said? Now, remember, when he was baptized in the Jordan, it says he returned from the Jordan full of the Spirit. When he returned from his wilderness experience and fasting 40 days, it said, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. So it tells me that a person can be filled with the Spirit, but not walk in the power of the Spirit. But through fasting, Jesus then came out of that experience full of the power of the Spirit. That's one of the keys that fasting will do in your life. Fasting is a mighty grace gift to this process. Let's take a look at Isaiah chapter 58, the chapter that really does talk about fasting. I'm not going to go through it. I wish I had time just to do a whole Isaiah 58 teaching to you. And so I don't have that time. But let's take a look at Isaiah 58, 6 through 8. This is a time that um, Israel... It's really a tumultuous time for Israel and Judah because the Assyrians have, have invaded uh, the northern kingdom, Israel. They have taken them captive into, into bondage, captive. And so uh, the Assyrians are coming against Judah, all the surrounding towns and warring against them, threats coming to Judah. At this time, Israel and Judah are into pagan worship, idol worship. They have pulled away from a lot of the things of God and have gone into pagan worship. Uh, if you read uh, Isaiah's account of this, Isaiah was the prophet during this time. If you read his account and what the Lord is saying to them, they were a very lustful society. Uh, they were committing adultery with their neighbor's wives. I mean, what God is just putting out there to this nation is you can read the whole spiritual temperature and climate of what they were involved in. So then in Isaiah 58, and, and it also talks about them uh, fasting for strife and debate. And then he, they say this to the Lord, why do we fast and you do not see? You take no notice. And the Lord brings this up. You fast. He says, you come to me and approach me as if you're a nation that did righteousness. And they were not. He says, then you say, why have we fasted and you take no notice? So obviously they knew that when you fast, something's supposed to happen. And they were shocked at this time that it wasn't happening. And if you look back in Israel's history with Esther, with Ezra, with Nehemiah, with Elijah, how about the book of Daniel? <laughs> the book of Daniel starts off talking about fasting. Chapter 1. Daniel, they, they came in from uh, captivity, and they wouldn't eat the king's delicacies. So they would only, they says, give us vegetables only. They wouldn't eat the meat, they wouldn't eat the dairy, they wouldn't eat the bread. Give us vegetables only. And the, and the guy ruling over them said, the eunuch said, if I do this, I'm going to lose my head, because you guys aren't going to be up to snuff with the rest of the people. He said, test us for a section for 10 days, test us. So they did, and they found that their countenance 
was greater than the ones who were eating everything else. So they, okay, we'll give you vegetables only. So that's where the term Daniel fast comes from. But if you read the book of Daniel, we know the story of Daniel in the lion's den, right? Everybody knows that story. We know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who would not bow to the, to the, to the king's image and worship it. So they got thrown into the fiery furnace. We know that story. Did you know it was heated seven times hotter? And even the men that threw them into the furnace died. It was so hot. And while they're in the fire, what happens? Jesus shows up. And all of a sudden, the king says, how many men did we throw into that fire? We threw in three. Well, I see four men up walking around, and that one man looks like the son of God. And so all of a sudden, the king calls to them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out! And they come out of the fire. Yes? And they're looking good. Their eyebrows are still there. Their eyelashes are still there. They don't, it says they don't even have the smell of smoke upon them. And we read those stories and we go, man, that's great. What a story. Wait a minute. We don't connect the dots. The book starts off with them fasting. They lived a fasted lifestyle. Let me tell you something. Fasting, if you will employ it regularly brings breakthrough into your life. It sets you up for a breakthrough bank account where you've got breakthrough stored up in your account that when the devil tries to trip you up and brings you something, you've already got breakthrough stored up that when it comes, you just cash in on the breakthrough. I'm telling you, I want to live that kind of life. Then you see Daniel with wisdom beyond anyone else, interpreting dreams. It's revelation because of the breakthrough fasting. There's revelation that came to him. So much so that all the way through the book, it talks about the, he, the Lord gives him for 600 years of history. The Chaldeans were, were ruling at the time of Daniel. And then the Medes and Persians are coming, and Daniel lived to see that transition. And then they, the Lord told him, and then Alexander the Great will come, the Greeks will come, and the Solution uh, Empire will come. Four kings will rise out of the Greeks that will rule. And that happened. And then the Roman Empire will come. And then the Messiah will come. And then there will be a great time of tribulation and war that will come. That happened in 70 AD. All of this is spelled out. Daniel talked about it ahead of time. Kingdom after kingdom after kingdom was given to Daniel 600 years before it happened. Tremendous book. And then it talks about the tribulation time that will come after the church is raptured. All of this is spelled out in the book of Daniel. How did he get that information? We know that Daniel prayed three times a day. And he led a fasted lifestyle. I wonder what kind of revelation can come to us. So in Isaiah 58, it says, Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness? Oh, pay attention. To undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? What these people were doing in their time is they were telling their workers not to obey the Sabbath. The, the business owners, the farm owners, weren't obeying the Sabbath. They weren't taking time with the Lord. And they were telling their workers, you need to work on the Sabbath. Forget that. Forget the law. It's not important. 
We're going to work through this. So they were training their family members, training their workers not to observe the Sabbath. Then it says, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh, Israel. Then, you, then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily, breakthrough, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. What is he talking about here? When you fast, you are taking on the heart of God. And then you will begin to employ my heart and begin to do the things that I would like to have done. It is also interesting that at the end of this chapter, you're reading through Isaiah 58. You get down to verse 12. It's all talking about fasting. Oh, and the promises all through that are connected. It's tremendous. Then all of a sudden it gets to verse 13 and 14. It starts talking about the Sabbath. It almost looks out of place. But here's what the Lord's saying in verse 13 and 14. It says, it's talking about taking time to honor the Lord. And if you understand the history, they had set the Sabbath aside. And now the Lord is saying, if you will take time to honor me on the Sabbath, and he lists three different things. Listen to this. Not doing your own ways, not doing your own pleasure, not speaking your own words, but submitting to my ways and seeking me. And then he says, then I will cause you to ride on the high hills. Then I will bless you with the inheritance of Jacob. So what is he talking about here? When you're in your fasting time, take that time and honor me. Now, in, to in today's world, we're not talking about fasting only on the Sabbath. We're talking about bringing the Sabbath into your fasting times. There's a difference. If you are fasting only setting food aside, and that's all you're doing, do you know we have a word for that? That's called diet. Okay? That is called a diet. But if you're fasting and you're setting, you're setting time aside, to get into his presence, we call that fasting. So there's a difference. What I have done in my fasting time is I shut the TV off, I shut the computer off, I come home here from the office, and I get into the presence of God. I get into the Word. I may have a Christian book that the Lord's led me to to read. I will do that. But I will take time to spend time worshiping him, and getting quiet before him and allowing him to speak to me. And I've had some tremendous experience. So the Lord told me, I want you to call this Sabbath fasting. You're bringing the Sabbath into your fasting times. In other words, it's a time where I'm honoring the Lord. So fasting is a Sabbath endeavor, a time to dedicate ourselves to him. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 6, 3-5. Paul says, we give no offense in anything, that our ministry may not be blamed, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God in much patience, 
in tribulations, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fastings, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Paul is saying, this is my lifestyle in ministry. These are the things that I encounter. This is what I do in my ministry. Then speaking of his hardships, he moves into chapter 11. Let's take a look at this. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven. He says, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger, in thirst, in fastings often, in cold and in nakedness. Now, he already told us in chapter 6, in fastings. It's already plural, so we know he's done it more than one time, okay? In chapter 11, he says something a little different. He says, in fastings often, and that word often in the Greek language is the word polakis, and it's actually from a word, the root of that word is polus, okay? Now, here's what polus means, many, much, often. That's the definition of polus. Now, when you put the K-I-S, when you put the kiss on the end of it, hey, that's good. When you put the K-I-S on the end of it, that K-I-S is a numerical term that denotes frequency. In other words, it's something that is done frequently. Okay? So we now know that when Paul fasted, he did this frequently. This was a frequently, frequented event in his life. In other words, I could say now, Paul lived a regular fasted lifestyle. It's something that he employed often. Now, do you think there could be a connection to the fact that Paul penned nearly two-thirds of the New Testament? Was it just that God chose Paul because I'm going to choose that man and you're going to write two-thirds of the New Testament. I'm going to entrust my precious word to you and you're going to write two-thirds of the New Testament. Or could there be a connection to the fact that Paul employed a tool of fasting often and got into the presence of God. And in that place of presence, his soul was subdued, his spirit was opened up, and he was hearing the voice of God with such clarity that God had a receptive person to entrust the New Testament to. I think there's a connection there. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 7, 5 Paul wrote this to the married people. It's, it's the marriage chapter, uh, chapter 7. And I thought this was interesting. Listen, listen to this, 1 Corinthians 7, 5. Do not deprive one another, ex and he's talking about sexual relations, okay? Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This was written to the, first, to the early church, the first century church. 
they had such an understanding of fasting and prayer. And what was happening in the book of Acts? Has, have you ever thought this? Oh, if we could just go back to the time of the book of Acts. Wow, I would like to live in those times and see all the miracles that the church has. I've heard over the years, why don't we have the miracles that they had in the book of Acts? Why are not we not living in that same type of time? We should be. The book of Acts was what? The beginning. It wasn't the end. But we're not having the same things happening that they had. Why is that? Because we've taken some of the tools, the keys of the kingdom that they were walking in, that they embraced and employed, and we've set those things aside. And so we're not having the same, uh, the same results that they were having. They were fasting so much that Paul had to give them a, an order and say, hey, make sure that you're having your relationships with another and you're having, keeping your relationships strong, that you're not fasting so often that you're, that you're separated from one another that when it says, uh, for, except with consent for a time, it's the word kairos. It's not the word chronos. Chronos talks about minutes, hours. Kairos talks about a season of time, a set-apart season. So we know they weren't just taking and fasting a meal. They were fasting two, three days. That they were setting time aside to get into the presence of God because they knew that is the only way victory is going to come in their life. Matthew 17, 19 through 21, then the disciples came to Jesus, Jesus privately after they were tried to cast out a demon spirit and they could not. So they came to him and said, why could we not cast the spirit out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Wow. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So what do we know about the disciples? They weren't fasting. What do we know about Jesus' life? Because he obviously went over and boom, cast the thing out. Why couldn't we do it? This kind comes out by prayer and fasting. What is Jesus saying? I live in the anointing. I live in the presence and in the power of God. Did you know that in Isaiah 10.27, there's a scripture that says that the yoke is destroyed because of the anointing? I don't know about you. I want the anointing in my life. When I come up against something that the defeated devil is trying to pull over on me, I want to have a breakthrough in my bank account to where I can go through that thing in victory. If I encounter somebody that's got a situation, I want to have a fresh word from the Lord from them that will bring victory into their life. I want to be able to go over and lay hands on them and cast the cancer out of their life to bring that diabetes to a halt in their life. How about you? We're the church. We should be walking in this. This kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. That word uh, prayer is a word prosuke, and it includes worship as well. Let's take a look at what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 16 through 18. He said, moreover, when you fast, did you notice that Jesus didn't say if you fast? Did you notice the wording there? He didn't say if you fast. What did he say? When you fast. So does he expect the church to fast? He does. 
When you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Take note of the word reward. He said, there's a reward connected to fasting. And he says, if you do it before men to gain their sympathy, then you have your reward. I don't know about you. I don't want my reward that way. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So I got news for you. There is an open reward that is connected to fasting of breakthrough. Jesus fully intends for us to pick up the tool of fasting and begin to use it. And I want to say this about the reward. His reward of fasting, in fasting, goes way beyond what we ourselves can claim. You might just write in there Ephesians 3.20 and look that up. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think, according to the power that works in us. And so he will always go above what we are, request, what we are desiring. Fasting is an awesome intercessory prayer tool. You may have uh, a situation in your marriage that needs to be healed. You may have a situation with your children that need to be healed. You may have a breakthrough in your body with sickness or disease that needs to be healed. There may be somebody you know in your family that needs to get saved. I know of a woman recently that uh, had a brother that was suicidal, uh, drinking, alcoholic. She began to fast one meal a day. It was amazing what God did. Within a week, the man gets born again. The next week, the guy gets, he's no longer an alcoholic. He stops drinking. And third week, he got a brand new place to live. Government owed, owed him some money, but he was lazy and he didn't file for it, so statute of limitation ran out. I think it was Memorial Day, when they don't deliver the mail. Guess what? They delivered a check for $4,000 to this man. And I told her, I said, are you convinced about the tool of fasting yet? She goes, this is amazing. <laughs> I said, I know. That's what I've been saying. It is amazing. <laughs> Worship is the fountainhead, the wellspring of all power. We need to bring worship into our fasting time. Psalms 22.3, you've heard me say it before, but you are wholly enthroned in the praises of Israel. In other words, inhabiting the praises. And wherever the life of God is there, wherever he is inhabiting, his life is present, and his life drives out darkness. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. That word boldly is a word, uh, parousia, and it actually means all frankness and outspokenness. So it's coming boldly. And the word, uh, let us come, you've heard me say this before. before. Prosercomai is a word that speaks of motion moving towards in order to interface and interact with. In other words, worship. And this word pros, P-R-O-S, suggests the cycle of initiation and response. So it's not just us worshiping the Lord. There is a response when we worship the Lord. And it is of his life that comes in and brings change. 
Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That word seek there is actually a word for worship. And so it's talking about when we worship God, uh, that there is a power that is released. Peter 1, 3, and 4, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge, take, you might underline the word knowledge there, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great, precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, underline divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, when we hear that word lust, most of us, our minds go to sexual lust. Did you know that the Bible actually interprets the word lust as meaning greed as well? And so it's a lust for anything, a lust for money, a lust for position. It can be a, it can be a sexual lust. But there's two words there, knowledge and divine nature. The word knowledge there is the word epignosis. Uh, we might say epinosis. And it's a word that means this. Rational or experiential knowledge implies personal involvement. Worship and fasting brings us into this relational knowing. What I like to call epinosis, I would say, is revelation. It's wisdom. It's understanding. It's contrast with the word gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S, gnosis, which is more academic by nature. In other words, just the acquiring of, that, of information coming into the mind. When it becomes a part of you and you, became, you get revelation and understanding and you begin to act in it, then you move into epinosis. When it talks about divine nature... It's actually saying this, divine natural production. Divine is one word, and that word nature is another word. It's the word phusis, P-H-U-S-I-S. And phusis actually means this. It means germination. In other words, when you put a seed into the ground and the, and the seed begins to sprout, germination. And so it talks of germinating, germination, which leads to expansion, growth, maturation, fruition, you might say production. So when we put the two words together, divine nature, it's talking about the divine natural production. In other words, those things that are natural for God now become, now take up residence in your life, to function in your life. Do you not want that? Absolutely. What is natural for him flowing in and through us in this world. I hope I've piqued your interest this morning regarding fasting and worship. Easy way to start in fasting, a lifestyle of fasting, and that is through the Daniel fast, which will begin next Sunday. Here's one of the things that I was shocked with. I was worshiping for two years. I did not know that I was set up to employ this tool of fasting. I, didn't, I was not aware of it. I was processing my experiences of fasting from the past and missing what I 
now prepared to do. And so I asked the Lord, I said, why did you ask me just to fast one day? Because I found it impossible now to fast one day. My fasting during the week is now gone to four days usually. And so once in a while I'll do three, but four, sometimes I do five days during the week because it's just such a tremendous time in the presence of the Lord that I've, that I've encountered. He said, if I would have asked you to fast more than one day, you wouldn't have done it. He says, I needed you to discover what you've been prepared for, and I needed it to become a revelation within you so that you can now take this out and begin to talk to other people about this so that the body of Christ can pick this tool up once again and they can begin to move forward with the breakthrough that I have in mind for the church and accomplish those things that I have for each one to accomplish. What other attributes or kingdom dynamics are we prepared for that we haven't encountered yet that we will discover once we employ a time of fasting? We need to take a fresh look at our daily personal time of worship and our rightful place of giving honor to God, learning to put first things first, the way that they were meant to be. Amen? Amen. Praise God. Let me pray for you. Father, we give you praise and we thank you, Lord, for what you've opened us up to today. Lord, we look forward for the new year as we close out 2018, as we move into 2019. Father, as we begin our 21-day Daniel fast, Lord, I pray for each person here today. Lord, that there will be some level of inclusion in this time of fasting, that we will not set this aside and say, this isn't for me, because, Lord, you have breakthrough, you have maturity, you have growth, you have natural production, divine natural production for each one of us to move into. Help us to discover this with you, led by the Spirit. Lord, we thank you for breakthroughs in our families, breakthrough in our loved one's life, breakthrough in our finances, breakthrough in our health, and we give you praise that we will discover the sound of your voice in a fresh new way. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Praise God.